Good morning. I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 38. Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am bent over and brought very low. All day long I go around in mourning. For my insides are full of burning pain and there is no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart races, my strength leaves me, and even the light of my eyes has faded. My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction, and my relatives stand at a distance. Those who intend to kill me set, set traps, and those who want to harm me threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. I am like a deaf person, I do not hear. I am like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. For I have put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, for my, my God. For I said, don't let them rejoice over me, those who are arrogant toward me when I stumble. For I am about to fall, and my pain is constantly with me. So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and powerful. Many hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me for pursuing good. Lord, do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to those of you who are new. My name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here. Special welcome to those of you uh, joining us for this uh, fun morning of dedicating babies, uh, family, friends that are here this morning. Uh, here's what we want you to know about First City Church. Above everything else, uh, we are a church that truly believes that Jesus Christ is the resurrected and reigning King. Uh, we believe he truly came to this earth. He died for our sins, was raised on the third day, ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming back. And that gospel story of Jesus is the power which by we, we live as a church. Everything that we do is about glorifying him. And we would love nothing more than for you to know the grace of God through Jesus. So if there are ways that we can answer questions, if we can serve you, we can uh, pray for you, meet practical needs, uh, please let us know. We would love to uh, bring you further into the life of the church if, if that is something that you're, you're interested in. And that goes for whether you're someone who's confident in your faith and you're looking for a church home or maybe you're wrestling through what you believe and you have lots of questions and you're trying to figure things out. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't say you have faith, but you're interested, you're curious. Wherever you are, you're welcome here. And we would love to get to know you, love to bring you further into the, the life of First City Church. And so uh, whether it's stopping by the welcome table, whether jumping on church center, whether grabbing me or Pastor Paul after the service, we'd love to be able to meet you and connect with you. Uh, so please do that. If you haven't opened your Bibles to Psalm 38, please do so. 
And the title of my message this morning is Guilt's Gut Punch. When was the last time, like, you felt really guilty? Not, not just a little bit, oh, I messed up, but deeply guilty, where you could feel it in your body. Guilt has this way of affecting us physically. It can, it can move us emotionally in some really profound ways. Have you all read the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Telltale Heart? You guys remember that from school? It's kind of a dark story. Sorry, it's Poe. A little dark for Baby Dedication Sunday, but here we go. <laughs> the story that the narrator commits a murder and he, and he hides the body in the floorboards and so that, that's happening and he's so confident that he gets away with it that when the police come to, to check on the person who lives in the house, he just kind of sets up some chairs on top of the body and they're, they're talking and then all of a sudden he starts hearing what he thinks is a heartbeat and it grows louder and louder and louder. And, and what you're supposed to take away from that, this is this guy's guilt causing him to think that the guy that he thought he killed is actually alive under the floorboards. And so his guilt keeps getting worse and worse and worse. The, the heartbeat gets louder and louder and louder that he just ends up, without even being asked, confessing to the murder and tearing up the floorboards. And the cops are like, what, what, wait, what? I thought we were just having a conversation. Now you're tearing up the floorboards and confessing. His guilt drove him that crazy, that mad, to where he had a physiological reaction where he thought he heard something. Guilt can be powerful. Guilt can move us physically and emotionally. Guilt can bring on a sense of suffering. So this summer, as we've been walking through the series in Psalms, we've, we've talked a lot about the suffering of evil and wickedness, the, the suffering that we experience living in the world and how there is evil and that we, we get that evil inflicted on us. Sometimes it drops into our lives and into our homes and we suffer. And we've been asking the question, what do we do with that? The psalm this morning shifts the focus a bit. Psalm 38's focus is not so much on the suffering that we experience from the evil and sin of others, but the suffering of our own sin. What do we do with the suffering that our sin brings on our lives? What do we do when the pain and the damage is self-inflicted? That's the question that Psalm 38 holds out for us. And in particular, what do we do with this experience of guilt? The suffering of guilt when we know that we have done wrong before others and before the Lord. When we feel that sense that we have violated what is good and we start to experience the angst in our soul and even in our bodies, what do we do with that? How do we address our guilt? So that's a question that you're going to be confronted with this morning. And just right off the bat here, take a moment and consider, how do you deal with your guilt? Like when you know you have done something wrong and you feel that tension inside, what do you do with it? How do you respond? Do you bury it? Do you try to make up for it with good deeds and, and lots of achievement? Perhaps you, you bury and numb it. Maybe you, you confess it, but, but here's the question. If you confess it, what hope do you have that that guilt is actually going to be removed? What good is it to confess if the guilt remains? Psalm 38 which is one of the seven penitential psalms in, this, in the book, overall book of psalms, which are psalms of confession of sin. 
Psalm 38 is an honest look at the guilt and the suffering caused by our sin, but more than that, more than just an honesty about sin, it points us somewhere. It points us to the hope of guilt's removal. It points us to the hope that we have for the suffering of our sin. And here's the truth that Psalm 38 ultimately leads us to. In the suffering of sin, find salvation in the Savior who suffered for sin. Let me say that again. In the suffering of sin, find salvation in the Savior who suffered for sin. So the beginning of Psalm 38, David is crying out in deep pain. And at the root of his pain are two things. One is God's anger towards him and his sin and his own guilt that he experiences. He writes this in verses 1 through 3. Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. Now, we don't know specifically what sin David is talking about. He committed a lot of sins. Some of them were pretty big. You can read about them in the Old Testament. We don't know specifically what he's referring to, but we do know that he is aware of God's displeasure. He is aware that God is angry at his sin. God is not pleased. And so he cries out, Lord, please withhold your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Whatever you do, however you want to deal with me, please don't let it be in your anger or in your wrath. David knows he's messed up. He knows he's messed up, and he knows the Lord is not pleased. And he uses very vivid language. He says that the displeasure of the Lord, that, that sense of conviction the Lord is bringing, feels like being shot with arrows. I've never been shot with arrows, thankfully. I hope you've never been shot with arrows too. But I, I've been poked and minorly stabbed enough to know that it would really hurt if you got shot with arrows. And so David is talking about the sensation of being pierced in his soul. God is piercing his soul with conviction over his sin. There is an angst, there is a, a pain that David is feeling at the spiritual level because of God's displeasure over his sin. And then David also speaks of feeling this crushing weight as if God is putting, imagine the eternal creator of all things putting his hand down on you. You can imagine that'd be heavy. Pressing down on top of him. There is a, a weight that he feels. There's no soundness in his body. His entire being that's unsettled, that's unhealthy, he's angsty. And on top of this, David's guilt is literally affecting him physically. Listen to what he says in verses 3 through 8. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am bent over and brought very low. All day long I go around in mourning. For my insides are full of burning pain and there is no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart." David's his guilt, his, his iniquities, which is the same, another word for sins, they, they become too much for him. Like he's done pretend, pretending he's fine. Like David's like, you know what? Drop the act. I'm not okay. My sins, my iniquities, they've come up over my head. They've overwhelmed me. I cannot bear them up. I can't hold them up anymore. Too much. I'm done. I'm tapping out. He's done 
playing around. He's done pretending. He's not trying to minimize. He's not trying to fix things on his own because here's the game that we can often play. We will, we will confess our sin, we'll acknowledge our sin, but then we'll take it upon ourselves to fix everything. Like there can be a self-reliance in our confession. It's a weird sort of twisted game that we play where it's like, yeah, let me be honest, but then let me fix everything. Let me, let me take control of the matter and fix things on my own terms. David's like, no, I've come to the conclusion I recognize my sins are too much. No way I can fix it. No way I can deal with it. They've, they've swallowed me up. They've crushed me. They've gone over my head. Then listen to how David speaks about the effect of his guilt. I am bent over and brought low. Constant mourning. My insides are burning. I'm faint. I'm feeling crushed. I'm, I'm groaning. Do you, do you know what research has shown are the physiological effects of guilt? Muscle tension, fatigue, insomnia, anxiety, depression, and digestive issues. David is describing the physiological response to guilt. Yes, yes he's using poetic language here in some ways, but, but he is talking about the embodied experience of guilt. Now, guilt isn't the only thing that causes those things, but it does cause those things and can cause those things. And think about this for a second. Whenever you feel guilt, where do you feel it in your body? Like, like when you feel stress, it's typically kind of in your back or your neck or your head. Where do you feel guilt? What starts to tingle? Your gut. You feel it in your stomach. Guilt is literally a gut punch. It literally affects your bowels, your gut health. It's fascinating the way God has designed the spiritual and the physical. We have a very real bodily response to guilt. Muscles will tighten, fatigue will set in, emotions will become dysregulated, and our stomach is thrown in disarray. Here's another interesting fact about the way guilt affects us. Researchers at Princeton University did a study in 2013, and they found that guilt actually affects our subjective sense of weight. Like when we feel guilty, this is what they found, when we feel guilty, we actually feel heavier. We, we feel like we weigh more. Guilt has this impact on our body where we start to bear a weight and we start to feel like, wow, I've just gotten much heavier and we start to shrink and close and fall forward and fall down because of that sense of added weight. Suffering from sin, affliction, due to sin and guilt, not only spiritually, but physically. And now one of the, the features of Hebrew poetry is that it will say the same thing in different ways. And the idea is, is there's an intensification. There's, there's a growing sense of the problem kind of happening. And so David continues to talk about the suffering of sin that he's experiencing and the guilt that he's experiencing in verses 9 through 12. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart races, my strength leaves me, and even the light of my eyes has faded. So you see, elevated heart rates and losing strength. But then also, the light of my eyes has faded. This isn't talking about losing eyesight so much as just that sense of life. You know, you can look somebody in the eye and just see that there's not, there's not a lot of life there or there's something going on. The very life is being drained out of him. 
Then he adds this, my loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction and my relatives stand at a distance. Those who intend to kill me set traps and those who want to harm me threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. Not only is he dealing with the suffering of his guilt, those closest to him, they've abandoned him. Have you ever experienced that? Where you've sinned, you've messed up, and the people that you hoped would be there to help you, they bounce. They sort of leave you there by yourself to deal with the mess yourself. And not only that, not only have the people closest to him left him, who are the people drawing closer to him? His enemies. The people that are out to get him. The people that should be close to him are running away, and the people that should be far away from him are getting closer. So David is hemmed in around by his enemies. He's facing the suffering of his sin and his guilt, and those closest to him are nowhere to be found. Like, can you relate it all to David? Have you ever experienced this kind of pain, this kind of suffering of sin? And then in verses 13 and 14, he continues this intensification. I am like a deaf person, I do not hear. I am like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and has no argument in his mouth. David's suffering is so great, he uses the imagery of just losing his senses. Like, I've lost my sense of hearing. I've lost my sense of being able to, to see, to, to, to hear, to, to talk. Like, everything is just going. He's just being so overwhelmed, so crushed by his sin and his guilt, so worn down. He's got nothing left. Nothing left in the tank. Can you relate at all to David? You ever felt guilt's gut punch? Ever been weighed down, brought low? Ever had the insides burning? Ever been angsty and unsettled and unhealthy? Ever felt the pain of abandonment? Ever felt the pain of of having someone throw your sins in your face? People, people coming at you because of your sin, not because they care for you or they care for your integrity and that you walk with Jesus. No, they want to take you out. They want to see you fall. They want to bring you down. Have you ever experienced attack? The suffering of our sin, listen, it is no small matter. Yeah, we're at fault. Yeah, we make a mess of things. Yeah, we, we, we are our own worst enemies many times. But there is a suffering of sin that hurts deeply. And it is not wrong to admit that. It is not wrong to acknowledge that. In fact, we should acknowledge that. We should be honest about what our sin does. And so the question, again, what do you do with it? How do you respond? What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with the acknowledgement of sin? Do you just like to stuff it down and just try to ignore it? I mean, just if I push it down far enough into my soul, I just, it'll, it'll go away. Or maybe you just try to numb it. Like, like stuffing it doesn't really work, so you got to numb it. And so you run to things like alcohol and drugs and sex and food and relationships, like just anything that's going to bring you a measure of pleasure, so you just don't, are, are no longer aware of your guilt. Are you numbing it? Are you wallowing in self-pity? Like, this, this is a fun game we can play. I know I play this game more often than I want to admit. I'll acknowledge it, but then I'll just beat myself up about it. I'm terrible. Look what I did. Can't believe I did that. 
man, I am the worst person. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible pastor, terrible friend. Fill in the blank. And I think by beating myself up about my sin, I'm somehow dealing with my guilt. Playing this game where, where, where yeah, th- th- this will solve my guilt. This will atone for it. But it's self-pity. But speaking of atonement, maybe you just try to make up for it by doing lots of good stuff. And if I do enough good, then I won't feel so bad about myself. And so you start to perform so you can feel better about yourself. And so all the good that you do is not about the glory of God and the good of others. It's about making yourself not feel so guilty. Self-atonement. Man, if I do enough good, God will like me, and I won't, he, won't, he won't hold this guilt over me anymore. Do you ever play that game? Or do you do this, this kind of modern uh, thing that we, we like to do where we will acknowledge our sins, we'll acknowledge our flaws, but it, it's in the name of authenticity. So it's not even necessarily self-pity, it's just I'm authentic, I'm real, I'm messy, here I am. But there's actually no addressing the wrong, no addressing the guilt. It's authenticity for authenticity's sake. It's this weird sense that if I'm honest about it, it somehow deflects my need to deal with it. How do you deal with your guilt? And then the follow-up question with that is, how's that going for you? How's that going for you? How is it going for you just trying to stuff it? Just trying to ignore it? Just trying to pretend that you actually didn't do the thing that you did? How's that going for you trying to numb? Like, like be honest. Is it ever enough alcohol and ever enough drugs, ever enough sex, ever enough relationships, ever enough pleasure that can numb the guilt? Can you ever really get rid of that sensation that there's something wrong in your soul? How's that going for you just beating yourself up, playing a self-pity game? Is that making you a better person? Is that making you a happy person? Is that making you healthier? Or how about the atonement, self-atonement? How's that going for you? Are you doing enough? And if you say, yeah, I think I am, well, how do you know? Where's the the calculus for that? Do you Google that? Do you, you you, you know, where's the answer to that? Like, like, be honest. How do you know you're doing enough good? Is Is your own subjective sense of you're doing enough? That's what it is. You've set your, own, set your own standard there. But I think if you were honest, you would know it's never really enough. It's never really enough. Friends, so often we try to deal with the suffering of sin. We try to deal with our guilt through these self-reliant methods. Self-reliance, self-reliance, self-reliance. And where does it get us? Where does it get us? Well, for one... It can leave us exactly that, numb. It can leave us numb. It can leave us hollowed out. It can leave us empty. It can leave us sort of ruined. And, and, and there's this, you, you think about the, the effect that guilt can have on your body. Well, numbing has an effect too. We will wreck and ruin our bodies to avoid one sensation. We'll run after another sensation and we're worse off. Or if we're trying to do the various ways of atoning for our sin, what happens when that facade cracks? What happens when you realize it's never enough? What happens when you're just kind of tired of playing the self-pity game? What happens when all those things that we try to do to put up defense, that cracks? Well then, boy, that guilt, that angst, all of that that we've been holding back just comes flooding out, and people around us are like, whoa, where'd that come from? Where'd that mess come from? 
And so we, we put up facades, but those facades never hold. They crack, they break, and what's really going on inside comes out. What are you doing to deal with your guilt? And on top of all of that, the most important thing that, that we need to consider in all of this, the thing that we, we need to account for above everything else, is that try as we might to deal with the problem on our own. Try as we might to be the best person we possibly can be. Try to you think about the, the best sense in which you can try to self-reliantly deal with your guilt and your sin. Here's the problem that you cannot overcome. You stand guilty before God. We stand guilty before God because of our sin. And we cannot atone for our own sin. We stand guilty before a good and righteous God. Our sin deserves punishment. And our attempts to atone for that, they fall flat. The way scripture describes it is like our righteousness are like filthy rags. Like what are you going to impress God with a filthy rag? How are you going to impress him with a filthy rag? What are you possibly going to do with a filthy rag? What good are we possibly going to achieve when our righteousness, our very best effort in and of ourselves is nothing but a dirty rag on the ground? So friends, we need to be honest that guilt is a problem. Guilt is a problem, but listen, guilt is also a gift. Like guilt is a gift to show you something is wrong. It's like a warning light on your dashboard. Like I've been that guy that's ignored the check engine light for a long time. <laughs> Driven around with that thing on, blinking and going and just like, ah, oh, it's no big deal, no big deal, no big deal. And then when I finally take it in and they're like, hey, you should have dealt with this a long time ago. <laughs> when we ignore the warning signs of guilt that something is wrong, something's going on, something's broken, something needs to be healed and fixed. When we ignore that, we make it worse. We drive deeper and deeper into our guilt. We drive deeper and deeper into pride and self-reliance. And we stand before God all the more guilty. And so this call to recognize our guilt from Psalm 38 is a grace, it's a gift Guilt is a, is a gut punch to wake us up so that we wouldn't continue in sin. And so in the words of David, in the angst, in the agony of David, we see a mirror of our own, and then we're pointed to the solution. We're pointed in the direction that we should follow because the beauty of Psalm 38 is that David, as intense as his guilt is, David is, maybe you've experienced guilt, but, but not all of us necessarily experience it to this degree. Like, you can experience guilt and it doesn't have to get to this, this level. I mean, David is intense. I mean, this is as intense as you're going to get. And yet, through the entire thing, David is not despairing. I mean, this, this is amazing. This, should, in some ways, should shock us about Psalm 38. David is overwhelmed with his guilt. He feels that sense of conviction from the Lord, like people have abandoned him and his enemies are bearing down. But the psalm is actually very hopeful. He is not despairing in the midst of all of this. David is angsty and unsettled and healthy and weighed down and he's mourning and he's faint and his insides are on fire and yet he declares in verse 15, for I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. David has hope. David has hope in the midst of the suffering of sin. 
Then in verses 21 and 22, he closes out the psalm with this declaration. Lord, do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. David knows where his salvation is. David knows where the salvation from the suffering of sin lies, not in himself, not in burying it, not in numbing it, not in self-atoning for it, but in the Lord, in the Lord and his salvation. And so what does David do? With, with the hope that he has in the Lord, with the dependence that he has in the Lord, what does he do? Well, he confesses. Verses 17 and 18. For I am about to fall, and my pain is constantly with me, so I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin. He doesn't hide. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't bury. He doesn't do self-pity. He confesses. Runs to the Lord in honesty. He bows low in humility. He seeks forgiveness that comes through the grace and the mercy and the love and the faithfulness of God. And as we've seen throughout every psalm this summer, as much as David has reason to trust, friends, we have all the more reason to trust. As much as David had reason to hope that God would deliver him from the suffering of sin, we have all the more reason. Because God in his love for us, so that we could be forgiven of sin's guilt and set free from sin's power, what did he do? He sent Jesus. And Jesus, in love for his Father and for us, willingly came and he stepped into this world. And what did Jesus experience so that we could be set free from the suffering of sin? Well, Jesus suffered for sin. Now, there are these beautiful parallels between Psalm 38 and Isaiah 53 parallels in language. So Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant who is Jesus Christ and how he would suffer on our behalf so that we could be experience forgiveness and freedom and peace. And so if you hold up some of the parallels, you begin to see a picture emerge of a suffering Savior. Psalm 38 verses 5 through 8 say this, my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish in my heart. So David is talking about his own wounds and they're, they're festering and they're, they're because of his foolishness. He's feeling crushed by the anguish of his heart and the guilt of his sin. But then this is what Isaiah 53, 5 says. But he, meaning Jesus, was pierced for, because of our rebellion. He was crushed for, of our, for our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. David had wounds that were crushing him. Jesus had wounds. He was crushed so that we could experience forgiveness, so that we could experience salvation. Jesus was pierced by the arrows of God's judgment for us because of our sin, because of our rebellion. But through Jesus going through the suffering on the cross, we experience peace. We experience forgiveness. Though Jesus knew no sin, he was crushed just like the sinner that David was, like you and I were, so that we could experience salvation from the suffering of sin. Psalm 38, 11, my loved ones and friends stand back from me, back from my affliction, and my relatives stand at a distance. He's talking about that, that abandonment. Then Isaiah 53, 4 says this, but we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. Jesus knew abandonment. Jesus knew abandonment. His friends hightailed it and left him the moment they knew that he was condemned. 
He was betrayed by one of his disciples who turned him over to the Roman authorities. Jesus knew what it meant to be abandoned by those who were closest to him. And why did he experience abandonment? Why did he experience affliction? Why was he struck down by God? So that you and I could experience forgiveness. So that you and I could experience salvation. So that you and I could know what it means to be brought into the presence of God. Then Psalm 38, 17, for I am about to fall and my pain is constantly with me. David is talking about being overwhelmed with constant pain. And then what Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 tells us about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering, that word suffering can also be translated as pain. It's the same word in Psalm 38, 17. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. Jesus entered into our pain. Jesus entered into our suffering. He took it on himself so that we could be saved from the suffering of sin. Yes, we still face it right now, but the power of that suffering has been broken. And one day when Jesus returns, that suffering will be no more. We will be completely and totally and utterly set free. This through Jesus' suffering, because Jesus suffered, because he bore our pains, we can experience salvation from our pain, from the pain our sin brings. Jesus took up our pain. He took up our suffering for our freedom, for our salvation. And because Jesus did this, we can run to God, we can cry out we can go to the Lord for salvation. We can run to him and experience full and complete forgiveness for every sin we've ever committed. Listen, it does not matter what you have done. You can say, you don't know where I've been. You don't know the ugly things that I have done and been a part of. True, I don't. But I do know this, that Jesus' blood covers all of our sin. Like the salvation that Jesus accomplished saves to the uttermost. It does not matter what you've done. Jesus can save if you will put your trust in him. If you will turn from your sin and put your trust in him, he will save you completely and you will be wiped clean. You will, be, you will stand before God holy and blameless, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, meaning you will stand before God. Jesus saves you and cleans you so well, you will stand before God as if you never sinned in the first place. You were that righteous before God, that holy, that blameless because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus suffered for sin. And so friends, here is the question before us. If Jesus has paid our debt, if Jesus has brought us salvation, if Jesus has cleansed us, if Jesus has set us free from the suffering of our sin, why in the world would we ever try to stuff our guilt? Why in the world would we ever run to things that numb our guilt? Why in the world would we try to self-atone? Like, listen, you and I, we can give a good effort. We can do some good things. But really, stack up all you've done compared to what Jesus did. Why would you ever think you could atone for your sins in light of what Jesus did to atone for your sin? And why would you ever want to? Why would you ever need to? Stop self-atoning and put your trust in the one who has atoned for you. It is the way of life. It is so much better than the self-atoned game that we can play. 
Friends, Jesus offers us something better. He's accomplished something better. If our feeble efforts can't compare to the glorious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then let's drop the act. Let's drop the act and let's run to Christ. This is good news for us, church. This is hopeful for us, church, because it means no matter how much we suffer and our guilt sort of overwhelms us and bears down on us, Jesus sets us free. Jesus forgives us. Jesus puts us on the path of life. That's our hope. That's the hope that we have. And so the question this morning, have you put your trust in him? Like, have you experienced the life that is in Christ? Have you experienced the forgiveness that is in Christ? And for those of you who are in Christ, listen, Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 tells us that God will discipline us. Like, you belong to Christ, you've been made righteous, you stand blameless before God, but in our, our, our lived-in reality, lived-in existence, we are still becoming more and more like Jesus. There's still sin habits we fall into, there's ways we need to grow and mature, and God will discipline us. He will bring suffering, he will weigh on our conscience. And, and I know some of you, you have, your, your conscience can be weak, and so you can, you can throw guilt on your conscience that doesn't belong there. But, but also understand that sometimes that is the Lord pressing on you. And we need to be quick to acknowledge that and be quick to, to recognize that when we are in sin, God will bring his loving hand of discipline on us and press. He will press. He will shoot his arrows, provoke that pain to wake us up so he would turn from our sin. Are you responding to the discipline of the Lord when you feel that correction? When he starts unsettling and upsetting your world, do you respond? Do you respond like David and cry out for the Lord? Do you acknowledge your sin, confess your sin, and run to the hope that is in Christ? And here's, here's what we can learn about properly running to the Lord. Here's what this looks like practically for us. Like, what do we learn from Psalm 38 that, that proper turning to the Lord to atone for our guilt looks like? Well, one, it's God-centered, not me-centered. Like David was aware of this fact. I have sinned against God. Ultimately, my issue is between how I have broken God's law, the ways in which I have sinned against a holy God. It's not about, man, people don't like me anymore, or what are people going to think of me, or, or I broke my own sense of self-worth. Or, or It's not centered on himself and his own performance. It's centered on how he has sinned against God. And so true confession, true repentance, true turning to Christ so that we can experience forgiveness and freedom from guilt, it starts with this sense of, I have sinned against God. That's the biggest deal. Yeah, I may have sinned against other people, and there's things that I need to, to address there, but ultimately what's most important is I've sinned against God. And in sinning against God, I run to him for forgiveness. I run to him for my hope. And so it's God-centered. Also, it's honest. David doesn't make excuses. David doesn't blame his friends. He doesn't blame his enemies. I committed sin. They're my iniquities, my foolishness. David owns it. We too just need to own it. Like, look, there might be reasons, there might be ways that you've been formed in the past, there might be, you know, family history, there, there, there's, there's real reasons why we sin the way we do, and understanding those things are, are helpful, but at the end of the day, it's still us choosing to do those things, and so we need to own it, we need to be honest about it. Third, 
hopeful and dependent, and this is so important, friends. Listen, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ such that it is hopeful. Your repentance should lead you to a place of hope, not despair. Your repentance should lead you to a place of rejoicing in the goodness and the grace of Jesus and what he has done, not self-pity, not beating yourself up, not going, I'm a terrible person, get away from me. It's, Jesus, you're amazing, you're awesome, thank you for transforming me and saving me. Hopefulness. Yeah, there's going to be times where we wrestle, and yeah, there's going to be times where we're, there's sadness and there's grief and there's mourning. Those are parts of it. But we move through those things to hope and to joy. Listen, Jesus got out of the grave, friends. He's alive. He's the resurrected and reigning king. The spirit has been given to us. We have no reason to despair. No reason to despair. And so finding our hope, turning from our sin, dealing with the guilt that we've experienced leads us to hope. David had hope. We have hope. And then finally, and I think this is another important one for us to recognize, David was able to separate his sin from the sin of other people. Like, like David acknowledged his sin, but he didn't take on false guilt. He didn't allow the lies of his enemy to burden him even more. And this is what I think is challenging for a lot of us. We, we can acknowledge our own guilt, and then what get, it gets mixed up in sort of our dynamic with other people, and we start taking on things we don't need to take on. We start feeling guilty about things we should not feel guilty about. It's a false sense of guilt. David, in running to the Lord, knew what he needed to own and what he said, Lord, that's not mine. I'm going to trust you with it. And so friends, running to God, seeking salvation from the Lord for your guilt and your sin, leads you to this place of freedom where you can own what is yours but not be burdened by the accusation of the enemy. Not be stricken by the accusation of the enemy. Not, not living under the weight of the accusation of the enemy. As, as Ian reminded us this morning, we have an enemy. We have an enemy who accuses us, who wants us to live in guilt, who wants you to feel terrible, who wants to cloud the, the hope that you have in Christ. But Psalm 38 calls us to the freedom of being able to experience forgiveness from our guilt and experience the Lord defending us from the accusation of the enemy. You do not need to listen to what is not truly guilt. You do not need to listen to the enemy. You do not need to listen to those who want to weigh you down with what is not true. And this is the power of the gospel in your life. And so friends, let me say this in conclusion. This is a lifelong process. This is a lifelong battle. Like we will face the suffering of our sin until we die or Jesus returns. Like this is just the nature of the battle. But this is a battle that we can fight in hope. It is a battle that we can fight in hope because it's a battle Jesus has won for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We have hope. We can experience forgiveness and freedom. And so as you experience the battle, the suffering of sin, find your salvation in the Savior who suffered for sin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.